You're listening to the Strategies at Work podcast for January 2011. Today's episode is titled, Get Results, Celebrate the Right Things. The focus of every organization is results. Without results, an organization will not produce a profit. And without a profit, an organization will eventually die. This is true even of so-called nonprofits. The term nonprofit is a misnomer. For any nonprofit, its income must exceed expenses or the organization will die. The term nonprofit, therefore, is not an accurate description of any organization relative to financial results. To achieve enduring profitable results, organizations must celebrate what drives those results the right people in the right positions doing the right things. This does not happen naturally, it takes skilled management to achieve this. Help them find their respective places and train them to deliver great products and services. Organizations that do this will achieve enduring, profitable results. And now, Dr. Chester brings us the message titled, Accountability, Productivity, and Results-Driven Viability. Well, my topic is accountability, productivity, and results-driven viability. I want you to know that I didn't come up with that topic, that that was assigned to me. So I've been trying to interpret it. So this is my attempt to interpret it. As I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking of what Dennis is going for here is results. Because I've heard him talk frequently in recent months about how he's not seeing people understand that the game of Christianity is results. We are to produce results. So I started thinking about, okay, what would that look like? So I thought, well, let's take a look at first at what the world does, the best that the world has to offer. This is a company called Congo Gumi. Congo Gumi, how many of you have heard of this company? Anybody heard of this company? Nobody? Huh? Congo Gumi was the oldest company in existence until recently. It existed from 578 A.D. to 2006 A.D. It existed 1,428 years. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? I don't know of any other organization that's existed anything like that. It had a very stable business that built Buddhist temples. Does that mess with your worldview? Hmm? But we'll talk more about that. It was very strategic. Now, over a 1,400-year period, by the way, has anybody got a 1,400-year plan for your business? Over this 1,400-year period, they did run into some problems. Now, for example, during World War II, there weren't very many Buddhist temples, so what they decided to do, they built these coffins, and that's how they survived. So they were very flexible, but they were also very committed to their core value proposition, which was building these Buddhist temples. So over the years, they've made those minor course corrections, but always came back to their core competency. Now, one of the keys to their success was they were a family business, and they were very strategic about their leadership. They went through 40 generations of senior leaders, 40 generations of senior leaders. The senior leaders were both male and female, because to them, the most important criteria was the right leader. Whether it was male or female was not important. It was the right leader, and their selection criteria was basically threefold. They looked at the health, the responsibility level, and the talent, and that's how they determined who the leader would be. And by the way, their custom was that when men would marry into the family, they would take on the family name. The men would change their name, not the women. It's a very interesting tradition because they wanted to preserve the family name. They always wanted a family member with a family name leading the company. So that was how they were driven and how they operated all these years. Now, they failed. What was their demise? Anybody want to guess? 
there's a little clue up there. Notice up there where it says strategic, flexible, but did not chase fads. Clue truck. They chased a fad. What kind of fad do you think they might have chased in the 80s? Real estate. Very good. It's exactly what they did. And when they chased real estate, they took on a bunch of what? Debt. And then when real estate fell apart in the 90s in Japan, what happened? You can't service the debt, and so eventually the company goes downhill. And so that was the demise of the company when they veered off their strategic plan. Now, you say, wait a minute. These guys are pagans doing building idolatrous temples. But you know what they were doing? They were practicing biblical principles. The things that they did that made them a success were biblical principles. Because in God's universe, only God's principles work. So even if you're in rebellion against God, if you choose to follow God's principles, you will realize some level of blessing. This is a modern-day Tower of Babel here. Common grace serve them. Common grace is the gift that God has given to us that if you obey God's principles, you will be blessed. Every one of us, let me tell you, every one of us ought to be on our knees every day and thank you, the Lord, for common grace. For example, how many of you like to eat out? Does everybody like to eat out? Well, let me tell you, you eat out based on common grace. You do. Because that cook back there in the kitchen is probably not a disciple. He might be, but most likely he's not. What's keeping him from poisoning your food? Okay, there's something in him that values life. And that value of life comes from God, and therefore he's practicing that principle. And so you're blessed by that reality. All right. Well, we've got a skit. This is going to be fun, so you'll enjoy that. You won't have to listen to me for a whole full hour. You're going to watch and participate in something. So anyway, common grace is an incredible gift for all of us to enable us to live in God's creation among people that are in rebellion against God and still feel have some sense of safety and some sense of being able to be productive. You know, most of us, if we're working in organizations, we're working around a lot of people that do not know Christ, have no interest in Christ, and yet we have some level of ability to do things. Well, that is common grace. Well, that serves us for a while, but ultimately what happens with any Tower of Babel is there's judgment. You remember the Tower of Babel. Why was the Tower of Babel judged? Genesis chapter 11. It said, the people said to themselves, come, let us build a city and a tower into the heavens so that they could do what? Remember that? Make a name for themselves. This was about self-glorification. This is about honoring self. This is about making us look good, making our mark on life. You see, and we all have that tendency to do Tower of Babels in our lives. Well, that's what Congo Gumi was, was the Tower of Babel company. And as a result, ultimately, God judged them. They had an illicit business with a wrong motive. Because the only right motive is what? Ron told us the only right motive is to do the will of God. And in that process, you will glorify God you will look like Jesus, and you will draw people to Christ. So the question is, if this is the best the world has to offer, can we do it better? Can we do it better? You know, have we done it better? No, we haven't done it better, but we have the potential to do it better because we know the Lord, and we have the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and a more complete revelation. This company worked in very limited revelation, and yet they had from the standpoint of longevity, more success than any other Christian organization I know of. Does anybody know one has lasted 1,428 years and been reasonably true to its convictions the whole time? The Catholic Church? 
Maybe, although I think early on the Catholic Church was very much orthodox and it has gone astray. I don't think it's true to its original convictions. I don't think we have one, but I think we have the potential. And so what I want to explore with you today, how do we begin to do it better? Is that a fair thing to explore? Get really long-lasting, solid, biblically-based results. All right, well, first some definitions. We've got to talk about accountability. What is accountability? I want to propose a definition to you. Accountability is the quality of accepting responsibility from an authority figure and being willing to explain one's actions relative to that responsibility to the authority figure or representative of the authority figure. So the key thing is an authority figure here. You know, we live in a world today that wants to believe in the theory of evolution. If you believe in that theory, there is no authority figure because there's no creator. You become an authority to yourself. In the Bible, we have an authority figure. It's called the creator, and he's the one to whom we will give an account. And so accountability really doesn't have the same meaning to an atheist or someone accepting the theory of evolution as it should to us Christians. We understand that we live under delegated authority. Do you remember how the Great Commission, what we call the Great Commission, started? What was the first thing it said? Right out of the box, what does he say? Huh? He does not say go. That's not the first thing he says. He says, all authority has been given to me. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you to do. You see, his command was rooted in the derived authority he had from the Father. He had the authority to the issue of the command. You thought about that. We need to have authority to issue whatever commands we issue, whether it's to our children, to the people we work with in our workplaces, in our churches. We need to recognize authority. So accountability implicitly implies authority. And guess what? We will all give an account. Romans 14, verses 10 through 12. I'm not going to belabor that. So accountability is very important. We've got to understand that we will all give an account. And I think as Christians, we know that. So let's go on to the next one. What is productivity? Let me offer a definition for productivity. Accepting responsibility from an authority figure. You see, we're back to authority figures. And conducting oneself to produce the results expected by the authority figure based on exercising one's responsibility. So productivity happens as we're doing the will of God. Doing what God has called us to do. What he's created us to do. So why is productivity important? Because that's what we were mandated to do. You go back to the creation mandate. And I want to say this. May I make a comment about the creation mandate? One of my disciples, Josh Brandon, well, wave your hand, Josh. Wave your hand, Josh. Go ahead. Don't be bashful. Just wave your hand, Josh. Very good. Be obedient. Show the world that you're obedient to me, okay? <laughs> you're under my authority. Okay. Josh is a very astute disciple, and he noticed. He said, you know, I think we have got some terms wrong here. He says, we call this thing in Matthew 28 the Great Commission. He says, I don't think that's the Great Commission. He says, the Great Commission is in Genesis 1. And I thought about it and I said, I think you're right. I think this is the Great Commission. This is the first commission. This is the commission that we are supposed to be executing, and we've largely missed it, at least in the paradigms of Christianity that I have been in over the last 50 years. This is largely misunderstood and ignored. We keep focusing on Matthew 28. So maybe you could call Matthew 28 the second Great Commission. Maybe that would be a fair statement, and this is the first Great Commission. So thank you for showing your obedience, Josh. I appreciate that. So this particular text says, fill the earth and subdue it. Now, this is where we get the concept of dominion, 
of bringing the rule and reign of God onto this planet. There is some level of challenge that we're given right out of the box in creation to understand, comprehend, to master God's creation and bring it under to the rule and reign of God. And so that's what we're called to do. That is why we need to be productive because this is about getting things done. It's not just about talking to people. It's not just about passing out tracts. It's about doing work. It's about doing research. It's about advancing the kingdom. I was sharing this concept some years ago with a client of mine who's an interior designer. And this particular lady was going to seminary at a Methodist university in the Dallas area, which is not a very orthodox university. That's a very fair way to put it, I guess. So she was hearing a different sound in her seminary classes, and she's coming into my home, and my wife had hired her to decorate our home. And so I'm just talking to her, just casually as she's doing things around the house and challenging her. As I found out, she was in seminary, so I want to know, what are your courses you take, and what are you learning, etc. And so we're talking about this, and I started laying out this whole thing about Genesis 1. And you could tell the wheels start turning. She hasn't heard this before. What, what is this? And it took her several times, but, you know, probably two or three encounters over a few-week time that she would come in and out of the house doing things. And finally, one day, she says to me, she says, I get it. I understand what my role is. My role is to set the stage for the play that God is going to conduct in this home. I said, that's a pretty good view. I think that lines up pretty well with the creation mandate. I can get into that. And so when you begin thinking about how is it that your work assignment fits into what God's doing, it suddenly gives your work assignment dignity, doesn't it? The significance and purpose here. Well, that's God is into results and the productivity. So what are results? Let me propose a definition for you here. Results are value propositions, fruit, byproducts, life, profit, return on investment, etc., that meets the expectations of the authority figure. Would that be good? The authority figure is God. What are you expecting me to do with the talents that you've given me, with the assignment that you've given me? And so, of course, these are important because that's what we were created to do. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Now, I grew up as a Baptist, so I heard Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 all of my life. I mean, with 1,500 verses of just as I am, you know, and this message right here, I got it, I thought. But what I'd missed was verse 10. I heard verse 8 and 9. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. This it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I got that. It's not me. It's the work of Christ. Regeneration is the sovereign work of God. The Holy Spirit, you know, does something to me where I am born again. I didn't do it. He did it for me. I got it. Now, the question is, why? Why did the Holy Spirit do that? What is the purpose of salvation? Have you ever asked that question? It's an interesting question to ask. I was at a meeting with a group of pastors and other church leaders about a year ago. We were talking about eschatology, and I threw that out. It was an interesting look on people. You ever watch when you ask questions, look at how they respond, like you that... that that flinch, you know, and their eyes kind of get big. And then you start hearing what they heard in seminary, okay? The Westminster Confession, you know, to glorify God, enjoy Him forever, and that kind of stuff. And then there's a question after that, oh, that's great. Well, how do you do that? You know, then they kind of look at you like, nobody's ever asked me that question before. So I'm going to ask you this morning the question, what is the purpose of salvation? Can you get it? Do you see it? Huh? Yeah, we didn't read verse 10, did we? 
We kind of stop. We read what we want to read till our paradigm is satisfied that we're stopped. Yeah, we got to be paradigm busters. Let the Word of God say what the Word of God says. You know, I had the privilege of studying Dr. Johnson. He was an incredible scholar. And his recordings are still available, even though he's deceased. You can go online and find his recordings. He is a profound Bible teacher. And what I learned from Dr. Johnson that I will never forget is to always be honest with the text. Don't ever try to make the text say what it doesn't say. Let the text say what it says. And it's okay if it confuses you. It's okay if you can't fully understand it. God is incomprehensible. Why would you ever expect to fully understand God? So I expect the Word of God on some level to not be fully comprehensible. And so he would teach me in interpreting this text that you need to pay attention to verse 10. Verse 10 is related to verses 8 and 9. There's this conjunction here called for, okay, that's indicating a connection. There is a reason for saying, here's the reason why you have been saved by grace through faith. It's so you can do the works that God created you to do. What you're doing is you're translating that word work to mean, well, that's preaching the gospel. That's referring to what preachers do. That's mission work. That's being a Bible teacher. Uh, passing out tracts, maybe. Being an evangelist. So we limit it. Well, the Greek doesn't limit it. And Dr. Johnson taught me to always look at the original text, which he called the autographs. You know what the autographs are? Those are the original text. And we don't have a complete set of the autographs. We have copies of the autographs. So some of the copies don't always agree. So that led to the whole study of textual criticism, which scholars spend time looking at that. But I've always tried to look at the words, the Greek words, to see what they mean. This particular one is, is the word ergon. Ergon is the word for work, all kinds of work. There's no limit to what this thing is encompassing here in terms of work. He's talking about whatever work God created you to do. That's what you were saved to do, to do that work. Does that challenge your paradigm? Okay. Well, don't throw tomatoes at me. Look at the text. Okay. If you don't like it, you need to take it up with the Apostle Paul. Okay. This is not my problem. I'm just trying to be true to what the text says. It tells me that I have been created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for me to do. He thought enough about you and me to make us to do the things he wants us to do. Now, that makes you very important. It makes what you do very important. And see, that's the kingdom of message that, we, that I didn't hear growing up. Now, what is it that really impairs me from producing good results? Well, sin is a big impediment. And here's just going to give you some stats real quickly here. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this. But there was a study done, and they were looking at basically the workers, and they divided them up into three categories. You have engaged workers, ambivalent workers, disengaged workers. Now, this is a pretty comprehensive study, so it's fairly representative of the typical workplace. In fact, the typical organization, probably even the typical church. Although I find when I talk with pastors about this, usually I get into this denial game that, well, my church is different. Have you all heard that? Yeah. And then I say, okay, well, tell me how it's different. You still hire people like everybody else. You still have to manage them like everybody else. You have to make payroll like everybody else. You've got health insurance issues, and you've got to be strategic, and you've got to do everything everybody else does, Right. Well, yeah, well, how's it different then? Uh, well, well, well we, we pray more. Oh, okay. All right, well, that's fine. Okay, maybe you do. I'm sure there's some exceptions. But ultimately, we're all in the same boat. You know, an organization is nothing more than two or more people that have come together to accomplish a mission, whether it's a business, 
a nonprofit, a ministry, a church, it doesn't matter. We're all fundamentally doing the same things. And so workers are always used by all organizations. And so you have three categories. Engaged workers are people that are in the game. They're working for the good of the organization. Ambivalent workers, they don't give a rip. They don't care if the organization succeeds or not. Just give me my paycheck. The disengaged workers now are people that are intentionally working against the organization. They're intentionally trying to sabotage things. Now, they're usually below the radar. Now, in some organizations, they're not, but most of the time, they are. Now, what would you think the percentages might be here? Anybody want to hazard a guess? Come on. You can, huh? 40% of what? Which one? The engaged? You think the 40% are engaged? 10 or 15%. 5%. 10 all over the board. Well, here's what the survey found. They found that roughly 25% are disengaged. One in four workers is proactively working against the organization. All right? They found that 50% are ambivalent. They don't give a rip. And only 25%, one in four, is actively engaged trying to help the organization accomplish its mission. Huh? Well, let me just say about the 80-20 rule. The 80-20 rule is a misnomer. If you read Matthew 13, it's a 75-25 rule, okay? The 80-20 rule was stolen from Scripture. It is not totally correct, okay? And that's a very interesting study in and of itself. But, but anyway, I wanted to show you these stats because this is what's impeding our organization's producing results. Well, let's look at some more things. Here's a couple of other things here. Dysfunctional management and using lying as a, a tactical tool. Now, these, again, were studies done. I really question this study online because how do you get the people to tell you the truth about their lies? Does that work? So the methodology here to me is questionable, but I'll give you the results and you'll be your own judge. Okay, basically they studied 40,000 people worldwide. The question is, do you use lying as a tactical tool to accomplish your purpose? What do you think? What would the percentage be there? Huh? Those, now, if you know it, if you've already, already seen this, don't answer. But those of you that don't know it, what do you think? Come on. 80, 60, do I hear 30, do I hear 40, come on, 40, 20, 10, surely we're not people, we're not lying people, are we? We're people that tell, I mean, the Americans, and I mean, this is worldwide, people all over the world, we tell each other the truth, right? Well, 93% of the time they claim they lie, okay, all right, well, it gets better. The Harvard Business Review reported a study a few years ago, and this was about projects. And basically the question was, if you have everything you need to do a project correctly, will you do it correctly? If you have the resources, you have clear instructions, you have basically all the people you need, all the money you need, everything's in place you know, to execute. It's like, get out of the way, I'm just going to do it. Okay. Now, what percent of those projects do you think really got executed well? Anybody? 50%? 30%, 25%, 10%, okay? Well, the answer is closer to 10 because roughly 90% of the time it failed because of dysfunctional management. And that was what the study was all about. It's project failure was being blamed on everything else but the real problem. The real problem was the dysfunctional managers. You see, sin impedes results. 
Okay, in your text, there are a number of Proverbs that I listed there. And I'm just going to show you a few of these. We don't have a lot of time to get into it. But I'm amazed at how people will hire people that have sin issues in their life thinking that that's okay. You know, we don't worry about their sin. Okay? But look what some of these texts say. Look about Proverbs 10.4. Lazy hands make a man poor. Hey, that's what it says. Do you want to hire somebody that's going to be poor? If he's going to be poor himself, what's he going to do to your organization? I had a client call me. I can't help you. I've got to tell you client stories. This is one of the dangers of being one of my clients is you, get, you might wind up being a story. So this client calls me up. It's a lady. She runs a pretty nice-sized organization, but she has a number of middle managers working for her that were having credit problems. And so they had lost their credit cards. They were not able to use credit cards because they had, their credit was gone. And so she calls me up one day and says, I've got these two or three people that need to travel with me to these trips, to shows that we're doing and conventions and things, and, and they don't have credit cards. I said, okay. She says, I'd like to go ahead and get them business credit cards. I said, okay, why do you want to do that? Well, because they need the ability to rent cars and buy airline tickets and pay for their hotels and et cetera, et cetera. I said, what makes you think that they're going to treat your credit card any better than they treated their own? Okay. Whatever's going on in your personal life, whatever you're doing, is going to be translated into how you function in the workplace. How about this one? Stinginess. A stingy man is eager to get rich and is unaware that poverty awaits him. You ever seen a stingy man? When you go interviewed, is stinginess on your list of attributes? You're looking to see, is this guy a stingy person? You know, if you have a protocol or process that you use for hiring people, you need to have a list of attributes that you're looking at and attributes that you're not looking for. Okay? And as you begin to interview, see what you pick up from. And by the way, I have found the best way to find out about a person is not talk so much to them as talk to the people that know them. That's the way you find out about people. Okay, being unsubmitted to discipline. Look at this. He who ignores discipline comes to poverty. How about that? You ever had anybody in your organization that's not disciplined? You seen that? You guys haven't seen that? Every organization I go into, there's always a whole bunch of them that are out of control, they're unsubmitted, they're undisciplined, and they're creating havoc in the organization. And generally, the managers are doing what? Nothing. They're not doing anything. They don't realize the reality. This verse is true. Those people are creating poverty in the organization. How about this? Talk without action. All her work brings profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. You seen that? Have you seen the people that... If they talk about it, they think they've done it. Have you seen that? Yeah. There's a whole bunch of them. They think it's done. If I've talked about it, I've done it. Boy, I had a great day. Man, we had a lot of conversations today. Well, what did you get done? No, I had a lot of conversations. Great conversations. Well, conversations are tools, but results are what God is after. He wants productivity. Okay, haste. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. I have the a whole group of people I call the ready, fire, aim people. You know, the ready, fire, aim people. These are people that generally don't want to take the time to plan anything. They're just very impulsive. They see something, they go for it, and they do it. They don't think about it. And usually what happens when they do that? It's a train wreck, isn't it? And now, not only are you back where you were in the first place, you've got to clean up the mess now before you can go back and now get a proper plan and go forward. Hedonism. He who loves pleasure will become poor. We live in a world of hedonists. We probably are very infected with it. So hedonism leads to poverty. How does that make you feel? They get you excited about getting up, going to the next ball game, and you know, buying that plasma TV and, and getting TiVo and all that. 
you guys are going to sleep on me. Either that or you're getting ready to throw a tomato at me. I don't know which one. Okay. Is this the whole thing about you've gone from preaching to meddling? Is that what the deal is? I'm not trying to preach. I'm just trying to read the Word of God to you, trying to follow the example of my, the man that discipled me. He said, let the Word say what it says. Okay? So oppressing the poor and brown-nosing. This is a good one. He who oppresses the poor to increase his wealth, and he who gives gifts to the rich both come to poverty. You know what a brown-noser does? He's giving gifts to the rich for his own agenda. That's going to lead to poverty. Tell me you guys have never seen this before. Okay? You've never seen these realities in your organizations. Okay, not fulfilling your life purpose. He who works his land will have abundant food, but the one who chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. Here's my thesis. I've worked with a lot of people, a lot of organizations, and I see the same things no matter where I go. It doesn't matter. And that is almost no one knows what they're called to do. And there's even some studies that support that. There was a study done not too long ago, and the question was, are you in your dream job? That was the question. Now, what do you think the stat was? Anybody? No, it, was, it wasn't zero. Five percent? Come on. You're going for five? Do I hear 10? Do I hear 15? How about 20? 25? 30? 35? Y'all have topped out, huh? Well, you're getting pretty close. The study showed about 15% said they were in their dream job. Now, to some degree... I'm not saying that's a direct correlation, but to some degree, that is a testimony to people not doing what they're called to do. How many of you are doing what you're called to do? You know you're doing what you're called to do. Raise your hand if you are. Okay. Now, is money an issue? Would you do it for free? Okay. When you can't wait to get up in the morning to do it? There's energy. It brings you life. Okay. Those are clues that you're doing what you're called to do. See, and when you're not doing what you're called to do, you're working land that you have not been assigned to. And that will lead you to poverty. Unbridled lust. Many of you may know who Ross Perot is. Okay? Ross Perot founded EDS. And as far as I know, he is not a Christian as far as I know. But one day I had a chance to visit with one of his executives, and we had a conversation about his practices. And he told me something very interesting, and it basically stems off this verse, A man who loves wisdom brings joy to his father, but a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. One of the practices that Ross had was that if he found out that you had an affair, you were fired on the spot, on the spot. There's no process. There's no warning. It is fired on the spot. And I asked the guy, I said, why do you think he did that? He said, oh, it was real simple. Ross's reasoning was, if you'll be unfaithful to your wife, you'll be unfaithful to me. Okay? I said, there's a wise man. There's a man that may not know the Lord. But he understood a biblical principle and practiced it, and it blessed his organization. Okay, I've got to speed up here. Well, I'll let you read these others on your own. But you can see the Proverbs and other scriptures are full of texts that warn us about hiring people that are rooted in sin. So what is the solution to sin? The solution to sin is Christ. We all know that. We don't need to belabor that. We know he is the only solution to sin. There is no other solution to sin. And we know that disciples grow in freedom from sin. For example, here's this text in John 8, verses 31 32. And we all know this text. If you go down to the university, y'all do know the university? It's in Austin, the state capital. Okay? Well, I guess the University of Texas, to clarify to some of you. Anyway, you go down to the university. On the tower at the university, there are these words. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
okay, which is scriptural, except my teacher would remind me, Dr. Johnson would remind me, it's out of context. You have to look at the context. So I step back to look at the context. And it says here in verse 31, To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then, notice that conjunction, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, the truth doesn't set you free unless you're obeying the revelation that you have. That's how disciples get more and more freedom, is they obey what they're given, and they get more freedom. This is the faithfulness in a little principle. Remember how you get promoted? You're faithful a little bit, you get promoted. You're faithful a little bit, you get promoted. And that's the kingdom of God. That's the way promotion happens. So disciples grow in freedom from sin. So that's the solution to the sin problem. So let me just suggest that the purpose of the church, the church has a role here. The church's role is to help us by producing holistic disciples. And I don't have time to go through Ephesians 4. I'm sure all of you know that. But the whole point of that is to say that the church, I think, is largely an equipping center to equip us to do the work of ministry. And who are the ministers here in this room? I want to see if you're a minister, hold up your hand. Okay, if you're not holding up your hand, why are you not holding up your hand? Because everybody is a minister. Now, I am an elder in my church. When I teach my class on Sunday morning, I am serving as an equipper. When I go out the door at noon on Sunday, I have become a minister. You hear the difference? Okay, I have one role as an elder. And I have another role when I go outside the church to my assignment, to my calling, I am a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your work is your ministry. Say that. Your work, say, my work is, is my ministry. Do it again. My work is my ministry. Okay? That we've got to get that inside of us. Until we do, we are going to be impaired as workers. Because if you don't think your work counts, then you will treat it like it doesn't count. And you will not produce good results. Let's just, real quickly, I want to get to the skits here in just a minute. I want to just, just set up the skit real quickly by saying something about holism and dualism. Because what we've done with the gospel of Jesus Christ is we have redefined the gospel into a dualistic gospel, and that's impairing our results. We have to understand what holism and dualism is first. There are five basic spheres of authority. Remember we talked about authority? We have an authority figure. He has delegated authority in five spheres. The church being the primary sphere, the church is the pillar and ground of truth, meaning it is the repository of the wisdom and knowledge that we all need to do our assignments regardless of where we are assigned. All of us are individuals. We all have families to some degree. We all have workplace assignments, and we are assigned to communities and to our governments in some way. So the church of Jesus Christ is to be the repository of wisdom that we need to deal with the issues of life. So... This is a full dualistic model here. You'll see there's no connection between the church and anything. This is an atheistic model. Almost no one really believes this other than a few atheists. Most Christians, most professing Christians, are partial dualists. They think that the church and Jesus Christ are relevant to them as an individual and to their family, but they believe in separation of church and state and separation of church and business. That is not biblical. You cannot separate the church from anything because the church, and I'm talking about not a local church, I'm talking about the universal church of Jesus Christ, which is all believers at all times and all places. That church is the repository of truth and wisdom and revelation from God, which is a growing body of understanding. 
the Holy Spirit is continually unveiling more and more truth to his church. And that church has got to be speaking into every sphere of God's delegated authority so we know what to do. And we know how to live. And we know the principles that we need to be practicing. So a full holistic position is that the church is the pillar and ground of truth for everything in my life. The starting point for everything with me is Christ. And the repository of wisdom and knowledge about Christ starts with the church and its understanding of the revelation of God. So that's what the distinction between holism and dualism is. What we've done is we've defined the gospel dualistically. Let me just show you what I think, how we've defined, the, for example, what we call the Great Commission. Okay? You notice that in this text here, we have scratched out disciples and changed it to converts. And then you'll notice a little further down, we've even deleted a whole phrase. And so now, in fact, we probably could probably scratch out the first all-authority thing and just start out with go and make converts of all nations. That's what so many people in the Christian community think it is. That's not what it says. We know that that is a very truncated meaning of the gospel. The true gospel of Jesus Christ is holistic, and it is the full text of Matthew 28 of making disciples. And you'll notice the part I've got scratched out there. Notice what it says. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Did you notice it doesn't say teaching them doctrine? Did you notice that? Now, we should learn doctrine. We need to know good theology. But it's teaching them to obey. It's teaching them practices. Teaching them how to live according to the Word of God. That's what we're charged to do. Moving on here, what I want to do is I want to offer the solution here to produce great results. To produce organizations that generate great results. And here's what I think the solution is. It's accountable, holistic disciples obeying the will of God, both generally and specifically, working in the power of the Holy Spirit, doing what they were created to do in accordance with a biblical worldview, producing results that endure. Now, as you listen to that, did you sense there was a lot of redundancy in there? Well, to me, there's a whole bunch of redundancy. Because when I say the word disciples, that's all I should have to say. Disciple. Because a disciple is holistic. A disciple is accountable. A disciple obeys the will of God generally and specifically. Generally means they walk in a biblical worldview. Specifically, they're walking in their calling. A disciple walks in the power of the Holy Spirit. A disciple does what they were created to do. According to a biblical worldview, and a disciple produces results. So to me, it's very redundant. I should be able to just say disciple. It's just pregnant with meaning. Now, why did I expand on that? Because... Commonly, we don't understand disciple the way the Bible teaches it. We have truncated our understanding. So I have expanded it for us to try to remind us of the depth of meaning of what a true disciple is. A true disciple is the only one that will produce results. Now, I know where some of you are going. I can hear it right now. Gee, the only hire Christians. Okay? Hold that for the Q&A. But let me give you a clue. Have I talked at all anywhere about hiring Christians? I've talked about disciples, haven't I? Okay. See, what happens is we get discipleship confused with people professing to be Christians. How do we know reality? By their fruit. That's how you know somebody's a disciple. Do they look like a disciple? It's not whether or not they say they're a disciple. Do they look like one? And so we've got to learn to be fruit inspectors. We need to find the people that look like Jesus, that act like Jesus. Those are the people that are going to be blessed those are the people we can work with and build organizations with. Those are the people that are going to produce results. And let me suggest this should be a major agenda of the local church is producing 
people like that. You ever thought about the church being a, a job bank, going there and finding employees, finding great workers there? When you go to, to hire, how many of you hire people? How many of you hire people? Okay. When you go to hire people, do you think about calling your church up and letting them know you have an opportunity and asking them if they know of somebody that would be qualified? Do you do that? Some people do. That's good. That's good. Most people do not. They don't think about that. They think, well, what's the church got to do with this? Because we don't have a mentality that the church should be making disciples of Jesus Christ, and disciples are great workers. Most of us haven't experienced that, so we need a paradigm shift here. Okay, now we want to do a little demonstration here. So if I could have our cast come up here. We're going to do two little skits for you. The first one is performance of I Fly Away Cleaners. So let me set this up for you as the protagonists come up here. We have a customer, we have a dualistic worker, and a dualistic apprentice. And they're going to be interacting here. It's about 15 minutes before closing when this customer is going to arrive, and he's got a warranty problem. The dualistic worker and the dualistic apprentice want to go to a church meeting that evening. Without permission, that is without permission from the owner of the store, the dualistic worker and the dualistic apprentice want to close early. So to the dualistic worker and the dualistic apprentice, kingdom work in the workplace is evangelism. So I just want you to see what this looks like when you walk out the reality of dualism and see what the results are. Okay, gentlemen, if you want to take your places. Unfortunately, this is going to come all too naturally to us. (laughs) The transformation is not yet complete. Just remember, if we don't take care of the customers, maybe they'll stop bugging us. Hey, boss, you ready to go to the church service and experience God? Super excited. Oh, I'm really jazzed about it. I, am, I just can't wait till we get out of here. Oh, really. man. Man, this is just making money. It's just hard work, man. But well. Got to do what you got to do, I guess, you know. I know, ever since oh, I got You know, that, yeah. the meeting kind of, I don't know if we're going to Well, we're going to bug out of here about 20 minutes early. Oh. Okay. Oh. You think the owner would be all right with that? We're not going to tell him. Yeah. I, I don't think If you don't tell him, I won't tell him. Sounds yeah. great. No, I think it's going to be yeah, fine. we got to get to that meeting. Yeah, I know, but we got to make sure we're giving out tracks. And, oh, yeah. We, know, should get, making, we should get ready for the meeting right now. Making money and evangelizing. That's what we got to do. Yeah, let's get dressed. I think it's great ever since they made us leaders. Church leadership. Oh, I just love it. I'll tell you the thing I'm really looking forward to tonight. We're going to experience God. Man, let's, let's practice. Let's practice the love ready? tunnel. Yeah. Ready? Here we go. Right. Woo! Oh, oh I just, can feel the I can just feel the life. Uh, ding, ding, ding. Oh, man, this is going to be great tonight. Oh, oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. I'll try to get rid of this guy. Yeah, what do you want? I got the shirt cleaned by you guys a few days ago and got it home, and it's got a stain on it. Just wanted to see if you guys could take care of that for me. But that we didn't do that. I know we got to get moving. we got a meeting. Uh, well, yeah, I understand that, but I brought it here. It didn't have a stain on it. Took it home. Had a stain. Look, that's chili dog. We don't eat chili dogs here. I mean, I mean, you did this. Okay, I, no I, I don't know if it's relevant what the stain is. I just know that I paid you guys Sweet to clean the shirt. Suddenly I okay, well, look, here, let me, let me do this. We'll take it. I'll see what I can do. Okay, great. We'll be done next week, okay? Oh, no, back you can't. Week. Next week is not going to work. I brought this to you a few days ago. Sweep I've got a business trip away. tomorrow. <sighs> okay. I've got a business trip tomorrow, and I've got to have this ready How for that. Hey, that. by the way, what's with the hat? We're church leaders, okay? So, I mean, we've we got to go to a meeting pretty soon. So we'll, we'll take care of this. Okay, look, we'll, we'll see what we can do. Look, uh, hey, would you take this and, you know, give it the treatment? Uh, There's a, apparently a spot I've on never, it. 
I, you've never I had just me do it. Before. Give it the treatment. Oh, the treatment. The treatment. Yeah. Thank you. Treatment. Yeah. Now, does he know what he's doing? He'll he'll be okay. Yeah. He's. It's his first day, but he'll be. Okay. He'll be fine. Okay. Okay. How you coming there? We got to get out of here. Oh, great. Here you go. You're all Thanks. set. Thanks. I appreciate right. that. Yeah. See you later. We got to go. Are you kidding me? Did you put a smiley face sticker over the stain? That is a special stain remover. Are you joking? I mean, you expect me to go on a business trip and put this shirt on and walk around with a smiley face sticker on? It's, it looks pretty good, but hold on to that. Wear it to your you business trip. Going. By the time you take it you off, the stain will be gone. You got to be. You must be kidding hey, me. Look, we got to go. I'm sorry. Well, I guess I, we will not have to worry about me doing business with you guys anymore. You know, I thought you guys were supposedly Christians, so yeah, well, I guess not. Yeah, chili dog uh, and all. Hey, we oh. forgot to share the gospel with Oh, them. man. Oh, wait, wait. Hey, hey, wait. Hey, we got some tracks here. What? Suppose it's all true. You can't Are even you clean my shirt and you want to tell me about oh, Jesus? On. Praise on, the Lord. Are you kidding? Jesus loves you, man. Give me a break. The love tunnel. Oh, my Lord. No way. What did you see there? Wasn't that a great encounter? What a great testimony for Christ, huh? Well, obviously, we're going to a little extreme here to try to illustrate a point. But the point is, this is what dualism looks like. You know, it does not produce good result. It doesn't produce good customer relationships. It doesn't produce good work product. And in the end, it produces an unviable organization. You think this organization is going to last? This organization is not going to be around very long. Because nobody wants to do business like that. Does anybody want to do business with the cleaners like that? Huh? No, nobody does. Okay. So Act 2 here is going to be now another scenario, different scenario. This is my calling cleaners. Okay. In my calling cleaners, we have now a customer, a holistic worker, and a holistic apprentice. And we're back again 15 minutes before closing time. And this customer arrives. The worker and the apprentice want to go to church meeting that night. The worker and the apprentice are called to their work and know that their work is their ministry. To the worker and apprentice, kingdom work is doing everything in the name of Christ. So we want to see what that looks like and just compare with the prior skit. By the way, this one's harder. Much harder. You excited about the meeting tonight? Well, I'm... go experience God. That's all well and good, but, you know, we've got a job to do here, and this is our assignment. The Lord gave us this business as a stewardship. And we're actually going to experience God right here. So I know this is your first day on the job and everything, but I want to set the expectation with you that this is our calling and our purpose. And we want to make sure we take care of the customers. Okay. Sound fair? Yeah, it sounds Okay. Hello, sir. Hi. Hello. I got this shirt cleaned by you guys a few days ago, and it's took it home, unpacked it, and it's got a stain. Oh, and I just wanted to see if you guys could take care of that for me. I'm so very oh. sorry for you. Okay. Well, we'll take care of that right away. Okay, Sorry great. For the Thank you. I appreciate it. Apprentice, would you please look after the customer yeah. while I work on yeah. the stain? Sure. Can I offer you a seat? Yeah, sure. That's nice. We have some drinks. We have soda, water. Water would be great. Thank you. Yeah. So how long have you worked here? Uh, I've only been here a day, actually. But um, it's a lot different than anywhere else I've worked. Uh, the boss was just talking to me, actually, and... I haven't heard anybody talking quite like that before. It was a lot different. I'm actually kind of excited about it. I think I'll learn a lot. So. Wow, that's great. Yeah. Good, good. Sounded like something was going on back there. Okay. We're all set. All right, great. That's awesome. That looks great. That's better than when I brought it in. Good. I'm glad you like that. And you know something? We're so incredibly sorry about the experience you had that I want to give you a gift certificate here. 
And uh, again, my humble apologies for the inconvenience. Well, thanks. Well, this, this is more than I even paid to do this shirt. You, you don't have to do that. No, no, no. You please, don't need to. We really appreciate your business. Wow, I really appreciate that. You guys have really taken care of me, and I appreciate yeah, it. So, thanks. Everyone. You know, I've been coming here for a few years, and I drive 15 minutes out of my way to come to this cleaners because of the exceptional service you guys have. I mean, every time I come in, you greet me, you're excited about what you're doing. You know, you always take care of the things you need to take care of. And it just bothers me every time I leave a little bit because I just wonder it's so different. And I operate a business, and, and I want to know what is it that motivates you to do business that way? Because even this gift certificate, I mean, you know, financially it doesn't look like it makes sense to me. So can you help me understand that? Yeah, well, we have a very different philosophy about how we run this business. And I'd be happy to explain it to you if you've got some time. We can go for a cup of coffee here. Okay. Yeah, that'd be great. And Apprentice, would you please take care of wrapping up the shop and turning off the lights, closing out the cash register, and making sure that everything is tidy? And then come and join us, if you would, please. Okay. All right. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> okay. You see any difference? Did you see any difference? Huh? Was Hopefully there was a huge difference. Okay. So, anybody want to make a comment about that? I know we got just we got just a moment here. Yeah, Monty. They don't know how much you know until they know how much you care. How much you care until they know what? <laughs> how about how much you're loved until they sense how much they're cared for? Yeah. Yeah, a holistic worker is a worker that knows who they are. They know what they're called to do, and they're doing it, and they're doing it according to the biblical worldview. And that's what produced results. That's the only thing that's going to produce results. So let me just summarize real quickly. This is the best of the kingdom. The best of the world, we started out with the best of the world. Okay? The best of the kingdom doesn't have to end. It can continue as long as we're walking in those principles, and it can be a stellar experience. So accountability. We will all give an account to God for what we do with our lives. Productivity. Taking responsibility to be a holistic disciple is the key to productivity. You're never going to be productive, as productive as you can be, unless you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. And finally, results-driven viability. Holistic disciples produce results aligned with the will of God. Because that's the game, guys, for every one of us. There's only one definition of success. It's not money. It's not power. It's not prestige. It's what Jesus said. John 17, 4, Father, I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. That is success. And if you can say that to the Lord when your life is over, what do you think you might hear? Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. And at that point, does it matter how many millions you have in the bank? The only thing that matters is that did you do the will of God? And if God gave you those millions, you discern what he wanted you to do with those millions. You hear that? Now, let me encourage you on one other point. If you don't intentionally study God's way of business, you will default to the world's ways. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the powerful picture of what holistic work looks like, of what a holistic gospel in people looks like, of what it looks like to be a real disciple in the workplace, and of how you value the workplace because you created your universe and you declared it good. And, Lord, we want to be your stewards, the people you've called and assigned to work, do your work in the workplace. Give us grace to do that. And may we do it with such, such stellar excellence that Jesus Christ is exalted in every conversation, every encounter, and every transaction. And people cannot resist 
they must know what it is that makes us tick. So, Lord, give us grace to live at that level. In Jesus' name, amen.